We're uh, beginning and uh, continuing our series this morning on boundaries. Uh, These last three weeks, we've been chewing and wrestling on these ideas of how to set up appropriate boundaries in our lives um, in a variety of issues. Week one, we just had kind of an overview on what boundaries were. That boundaries are these intentionally built invisible fence lines that protect that which God has given us. Um, The week after that, week two, uh, we had a guest speaker, Russell Verhey, who came in and talked about relational boundaries, um, which was helpful and which was inspiring, and he gave us resources to be able to have meaningful conversations. And this morning, we're in week three, and we're talking about this idea of rest. Everybody say rest. And uh, we're going to look at what scripture has to say about rest. We're going to look at what we see about Sabbath in uh, the narrative of Scripture, and we're going to see how we are and why we are to set up boundaries in our rest. And so as we go through this, I want to again encourage you to pick up this book called Boundaries. Many of you have read it. Many of you have it. Uh, It's by Henry Cloud and John Townsend, both doctors. And uh, this is an incredible read. I would highly recommend it. What we're doing is we're approaching this series more from a theological standpoint, uh, more of what Scripture explicitly tells us about these various issues. But um, Boundaries, this book really tackles it from more of a practical, highly practical point of view. And so uh, over the course of the series and even after this series, if you're looking at digging in a little bit more, if you're wanting to get more uh, down and dirty with this thing, get your hands a little bit dirtier with this boundaries issue, um, I would highly recommend this book. Um, It is amazing. You would love it. It will work wonders for you as you maneuver your young adult life. And we have these at the bookstore um, right across the little street. It's not even really a street, the parking lot in the main building, um, if you wish to pick those up this morning. So with that, let's lean in and let's go to Genesis Chapter 1, we're going to skip around a little bit. We're going uh, Genesis 1, 28. We're going to jump to 31, Genesis 1, 31. And then we're going to go 2, 1 through 3. And all of this is going to be up on the screen for each of you. And here's what it says. And God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, this is Genesis chapter 2 now, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. Everybody say rested. On the seventh day, from all his work that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day. He both engaged in rest, and then he blesses rest the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested. Everybody say rested. It's going to be the key word this morning. From all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Lord, we want to lock eyes with you this morning. We come into your house not searching for feelings, not even searching for existential experiences, God, but we come to lock eyes with you. We come to encounter you. 
We come to meet with you and to grow in you. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, you are welcome. You are welcome in this place. You are welcome in our study. You are welcome in our conversations. You are welcome here. And like we often do right now, Lord, we give you space and we take a second and we pause and we're just silent and we wait and we we make space for you and allow you to speak and allow the anxieties of our hearts to be flushed away and for us to lock eyes with you again. So right now, Lord, we quiet our hearts and we simply be still in your presence. Lord, in the stillness, we know that you are God. We know that there is nothing you have withheld from us. We know that you went to great lengths to make us your own. And so we look to you and we ask that you would speak. And we ask that you would draw near to us, even in the variety of our anxieties and life circumstances. Lord of life, we ask you to draw near to us this morning. Lord, let our eyes, ears, and hearts be sensitive to your truth. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. We're going to do that from time to time. I may may have said that before, but it's so important to leave space and to allow just some things to, you know, be cast and laid on the wayside and and come before the Lord in silence. And so we're going to make that a part of who we are moving forward, but um, as we're talking about rest, kind of a funny thing happened to me a few weeks ago. I was having coffee with uh, one of my buddies who was actually here in the young adult ministry, and and he's a regular, and he's plugged in, and and I was having coffee with him, and we scheduled coffee on maybe a Tuesday at 3.30, uh, I know it was a 3.30 slot, and we, we decide, okay, let's meet up here at Cafe Velo, uh, right across the street, and we're just going to have coffee, we're going to connect and talk about life. And so I, I roll up to ca- Cafe Velo, and it's 3.30, and I walk in the door, and for those of you who have been to Cafe Velo, there's kind of like a, like a bar area over here, and there's some couches with a TV, and it's also a bike shop, so there's like some $3,000 bikes on the wall that you're just salivating over, like, wow, this place is heaven. And, uh, and I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm looking for this person, and, and I'm not seeing him. So I thought, um, you know, I'll, I'll just sit down and maybe order some coffee, and then he'll come. And so I'm, I'm walking, and as I turn to go sit down, I look over, and this guy that I'm meeting, a friend of mine, is just sprawled out on the couch. I'm talking like making this thing his territory, just sprawled out, enjoying life, relaxing. And I thought, oh, all right, sweet, like, He's loving it. He's relaxing. Good for him. And he sees me, and he gets up, and we start talking. And, uh, and we order coffee, and we sit down, and, and he begins to tell me about all the things that he has going on in his life. Uh, he's a drummer, and he plays here at New Life from time to time. And he's telling me about these prayer meetings that he's playing for. And then he's telling me about these uh, worship sets that he's playing for and how he has a job. And then on top of all of that, he's traveling, and he has to hit the gym every night, right? So he's getting swole and getting his iron on, and he's working out, and he has all these things going on. And he, and he says, and, and actually, I have just been exhausted lately. And so 
uh, I came here about an hour ago, and I've just been sleeping on this couch for the last hour because I've just been exhausted. I thought, man, you're so lucky. I can't fall asleep anywhere except for my bed. Lucky. But, uh, but this encounter kind of got me thinking, and, and I began to, to think and put pieces together And I began to realize that this is such a fitting image of where our generation is. Um, And he recently, he's told me he's cut some things from his schedule and he's allowed for times of rest and he's, you know, gotten a little bit healthier and not as tired. But but this, this picture of just being sprawled out on the couch, exhausted from the cares and the burdens of life, that is so fitting of where we are right now as the millennial generation, really as a generation uh, and culture as a whole, but especially for millennials, we are so overworked. And in fact, we are obsessed with being overworked and obsessed with being busy. And this picture of just napping in the coffee shop because, you know, we're so tired and we're exhausted and there's things weighing on us and we have no margin. It's just, it's where we're at as a culture. And for millennials especially, I think we can tend to look on being busy and having a lot going on and having no margin almost with endearment. We can look at the busy schedule and say, oh man, yes, that, that's, what's, that's what it's about. I'm feeling important. I'm feeling valued. And, and we, we can look on being busy as kind of the holy grail in some ways. Like I, I want to I have all these things going on so that I can be productive and then I can make a difference. And, and busyness equals success and busyness equals productivity. And actually, I was reading an article this week, and some researchers are going so far as uh, to say that, that busyness is actually the supreme status symbol of the millennial generation. That whereas previous generations looked at the red Jaguar, you know, that goes zero to 60 in four seconds, or the Lamborghini, or the Ferrari, or the sports car, maybe the big house with the white picket fence, other generations have looked at that as the symbol of status. But for millennials, we have actually begun to look at busyness and the, the density of our calendars and equated that as a symbol of status. And it's interesting because being busy as, as we engage in work and school and relationships and, and all these different things we're spinning, being busy really makes us feel valuable. It makes us feel important. It makes us feel needed and indispensable. And so it almost comes down to this identity thing where we're trying to be busy and we're trying to fill our schedule so that we can feel important and we can feel like, yeah, I'm making a difference and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not being lazy, but I'm, I'm doing something. I'm valuable. I'm needed. And so when busyness is seen in this light, the concept of rest is really belittled. To, to the extreme, because rest in the corporate world, rest to millennials now, is like occupational suicide, right? I mean, if you're wanting to get ahead, and if you worked four years, maybe even eight years if you did a master's and, and in college, and now you're going to the occupational field, and, and you're in your career, no, you can't rest. I mean, you got to get ahead, right? You, you got to make it, you got to get that job of your dreams. You got to make the six figures. You have to work your butt off so that then you can get that job of your dreams. And so rest is viewed as occupational suicide. And really, when you hit it, and when you arrive, even then, rest is kind of a luxury, Right? Rest is for those who really have a big team and who are making enough money to be able to sacrifice. And you, it's the luxury of engaging in rest. It's not a necessity. And so uh, these ideas and these cultural influences, if we're not careful, can pervade our own belief system. As the people of God, we can start viewing 
success and uh, specifically busyness as this thing that we have to be engaged in. We have to be busy. We can't have margin. We got to just go, 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 go. 60 miles an hour, get ahead in your career, land that job of your dreams because you're being busy. And life largely becomes and mainly becomes about the work that we do and very little about the rest that we participate in. But in Scripture, I want to argue that we see a different narrative. In Scripture, we see rest as something to be sought out. We, seek, uh, we see rest as something um, that, that, that not, doesn't even serve as a complement of work. It, it stands alone. It's this thing that we are to seek. It's this thing that God has blessed. It's this thing that we are to participate in. And this rest and this margin and this place of space is something that is near and dear to God and a part of our identity as the people of God. So we see this enormous value and importance on rest. And so thus, as we talk about the the context of boundaries and this idea of setting up boundaries, well, this thing of rest, it's important for us to become reacquainted with what exactly rest is and why it's important. And only then can we set up the boundaries and know and protect their value. So we're going to go back to Genesis 128, where our text began. And we're going to kind of clip through this and study it a little bit. Because we see rest at the very beginning of creation. We see God instituting this practice of rest before um, man really even gets going on occupying the earth. So verse 28, we're going to read it again. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so stop right there. God created Adam and Eve. He forms them. He creates man and then he creates woman. And they're to serve a specific purpose. They're to serve this purpose of having relationship with their creator and ruling over all creation. And so God creates them. And we can tend to kind of stop right there in the narrative. We can tend to look at that narrative and, and okay, God, God created man and women to work, right? Work was a, was a pre-fall practice. And so men and women, we're supposed to work. We're supposed to get it done. God calls us to certain things, and God calls us to occupations, and God calls us to these relationships, and we're supposed to work and work and work, and, and life is measured in the work that we do for God. And we, we stop, and we take this, and we stop at this point in the narrative, and we can assume that life is largely about the work that we participate in. But there's a continuation of the narrative. There's something that happens after this that's taking only a sliver of the identity that God instilled in his people and running with it. Instead, there's more. Because the narrative continues, and in just a a few verses later in Genesis 2, 2 through 4, we see this. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now stop for a second. Consider the context here. Because God created man, created woman. He, he put everything into order. He, he, he put his hands on all creation and crafted this universe that houses humanity, his prized possession. And then he gets to the seventh day and he finishes everything and he stops. 
And he participates in this act of rest. And before cutting loose man to go work and to go fulfill the call that, that they had, on, on, uh, that they were, they were given by God, God stops and he says, wait a minute, I'm going to rest. So in other words, God, I dropped my microphone and I'm losing my train of thought. Hang on. All right. Imperfection, people. Embrace it. So God, God uh, where was I? Um, God gets men and women, and before cutting them loose and sending them off to work and step into the identity that God had given them, he says, wait, 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 let me stop and model to you rest. Let me show you that life is not all about you doing work for me. Life in your identity and your existence is not comprised exclusively and completely in you working, and you engaging, and you toiling. And though the work is good, and yes, though I've absolutely called you to it, your life is not to be about that, because there is also rest. And we see God modeling this unnecessary practice of rest, because God, this omnipotent, self-sustaining being, infinite being, who doesn't need a thing, stops and rests, as if he needs to take a break and catch his breath. As if his hands grew tired of crafting creation, as if speaking a word and having all creation be formed was tiring to him. No, he practices rest to model it for humanity. It was for our benefit that God does this thing and and participates in this practice of rest. And so it's essential to understand this because God explains and models that our existence as the people of God, our identity is not exclusively in the work that we do. It's not in getting things done. Again, though that's a part of it, there is also rest. And the interesting thing is that God didn't just um, model this for man. He didn't just model rest, but he actually took this day of rest, the seventh day, and made it holy. That is something, if you break down the, the Hebrew word for holy, it explains something that is qualitatively different than that of the rest. He blesses it, and he calls it holy. He sets it apart from the other six days that were made for work and creates this day of rest as its own entity, as its own thing that has its own identity and serves its own unique purposes. And at this point, many people can argue, and probably would argue, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Genesis, Genesis 2, that's talking about the Sabbath, right? God's instituting the Sabbath, and it's for the people who are under the law, and, and the Sabbath was done away with the law, and we don't really have to observe that anymore. So why are we talking about this? This is an old practice, right? This, this day of rest, it's the Sabbath. It's done away with. Let's move on to the next thing. Well, this argument, I think, is looking at the issue all wrong, because the day of rest, whatever you hold to, whether you hold to an interpretation of a literal seventh-day rest where you have to rest on Saturday or depending on how you view the week, Sunday, um, or if you have a little more space in your interpretation to allow for it to be another day of the week. Regardless, God took this day of rest and he blessed it and he instituted it thousands of years before the law. You see, it was something that he didn't just take and, and, and said, oh, Israelites, Pay attention to the Sabbath, make the Sabbath good, you know, engage in it because it's good. But he didn't just say it, but he modeled it, he blessed it, he made the thing in its very nature holy. And so this thing of rest and this day of rest has existed long before the law. And it wasn't instituted for the law, which was temporary, but was woven into the very fabric of the natural order. 
God takes this thing of rest and he weaves it into creation and it supersedes the law. And so the law is done away with. We still, uh, when we participate in this thing of rest, are participating in an act that has been practiced and done and God modeled himself uh, even before creation. And by its very nature, again, it was made different. It was made different than the six days. It was set aside. It was made holy and served as a unique purpose. Now let's take a step back for a second. Viewing rest in this way really clashes with the way that we in our modern society views rest, don't we? Let's just take us for example. We won't even look at the culture. Because we can view rest as a means to an end. We can view rest as a way to get filled and get re-energized so that we can work, don't we? Many of us view the Sabbath as, well, that's the day so that you don't get burned out and that you can stay put and you can get filled and you can get re-energized so that you can get back to the work. But really, is that what rest is? I mean, according to the narrative of Scripture and creation, God made rest as holy, as something that was qualitatively different than those of the other six days. And so to, to view rest through the lens of our work is making it really an entity of work. And though we rest, and and though it's kind of its own thing, it's still for the purpose of working. And so I I don't think that that's holy. I don't think that that's what God had in mind when he made and instituted this day of rest. Because it focuses on the other six days. And then, eh, yeah, we'll throw that seventh one in there so that we can, you know, really be good on the six days. So we can be fresh and energized. But I want to argue this, that rest has its own unique role in the natural order. Rest ceases the doing and cultivates being. It serves its own purpose. It stands alone in the natural order. God made it different. Rest stops the doing and the working. Things, again, that we aren't to minimize and things that we're to engage in and things that God calls us to, the work. But yet, rest is its own thing. Rest embraces, stops the work, and embraces being. Simply being, being present with the Lord without an agenda, being present to to the state of our souls, being present to our emotions, being present to where we are and what we're thinking, and just being still and being present before God. And we experience God through occupational success, yes, and occupational and even vocational seeking, yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we feel a certain attribute of God, and we encounter God in a certain way when we get our hands on something, don't we? When we're engaging in the occupation of our dreams, when we're in our sweet spot, and we're, we're giving our time and attention and our effort to the thing that God's called us to, we experience and encounter God in profound ways in that. Yes, absolutely. But rest, we experience and encounter God in a completely different way, in a way that is holy, in a way that is... Uh, by its very nature, separated from those of the work. We encounter God through our rest, and so God created rest as its own place of encounter. God created rest so that we can engage in it and not get work done and not not just get energy for the work, but so that we can simply be and we can simply encounter God through the rest. We encounter God through occupation, yes, but we encounter God in a specific and unique way when we rest and when we stop and when we simply are and be. Think about your life for a second. I think all of us could go around this room and tell stories about times in our lives where we've stopped 
Maybe it's over summer break, maybe it's over spring break, Christmas, whatever. We could go around and tell stories of times that we've stopped and stopped school and stopped work and had a weekend, at least a day of just sitting. And in, and, and in that day, we have encountered God in a big way, in a fresh way, in a way that is unique from the way of our work. I think we can all go around and testify, yes, there is something about this thing of rest where we experience and encounter God differently than in our work. And that's exactly what we see in this creation narrative. And why is that? It, well, it's because rest was made for encounter. Rest was made to encounter God. Again, rest, I want to make it clear, rest wasn't instituted for the sake of energy for the work. Because then that would make life about our work. But in fact, there's two things. There's work and there's rest. And it's us encountering God in times of quiet and in times of reflection and times of rest. Thomas Merton, a, uh, a spiritual writer and Catholic mystic, has this book called Thoughts in Solitude. And in this book, he, he uses this beautiful language of the desert. And he likens this thing of solitude to the desert and draws this metaphor. And I think this language is beautiful and equally applicable as we look at this idea of rest and apply it. So I want to read a little excerpt from Thoughts in Solitude, uh, written by Thomas Merton. It's going to be up on the screen. Here's what it says. The Desert Fathers, which... Long story short, the Desert Fathers were people who um, had fled the church because uh, at one point uh, in the early first millennial, uh, the church was beginning to be so corrupt that people had to leave and flee the church because they felt like the church was a sinking ship. And they felt like the church was so corrupt and was looking so much like the world that these people literally fleed to the desert for their spiritual lives. And so they became hermits and they became monastics and they engaged in this lifestyle of community in the desert because the church was corrupt. Okay, that's basically it. Right or wrong, whether you agree with that mindset or not, that's what the Desert Fathers were. So the Desert Fathers, with that context in mind, believed that the wilderness had been created as supremely valuable in the eyes of God, precisely because it had no value to men. The wasteland was the land that could never be wasted by men because it offered them nothing. There was nothing to attract them. There was nothing to exploit. The desert was simply to be itself, not to be transformed by men into something else. The desert is therefore the logical dwelling place for the man who seeks to be nothing but himself. That is to say, a creature solitary and poor and dependent upon no one but God, with no great project, standing between himself and the Creator. Merton argues that the desert wasn't made for civilization. The desert wasn't made for work. The desert wasn't made to to sow and harvest crops. It, It was made as its own thing. The desert was made just to exist and just to be. And there's no agenda in the desert, and there's no working in the desert, and there's no toiling in the desert because it was made to simply exist in and of itself. There is simply being. Well, in the same way, rest is not to be dominated by our work. Rest is not something that civilization, if we're keeping with this metaphor, should dominate and and try and and extend its reach over it. And it shouldn't be something that that we overrun with work because the, the desert, the place of rest, was made in its own glory. In its own thing of holiness, the, the, the desert, the place of rest, was made to simply be and to stop working and to just exist and to be with the Lord and to be present. 
It's made to be a place of encounter. It's made to be a place where we come and lock eyes with our creator and set aside our work and surrender and throw our trust on God and encounter him in the specific and unique place that God instituted in the natural order, this place of rest. And so we see that rest is a practice that God himself engaged in, wove into the fabric of creation, and now invites us to participate in. Rest is a practice that God himself engaged in. He modeled it. He showed it to humanity. And then he wove it into the fabric of creation, meaning he blessed it. He made it holy. He made it set apart. And now he calls us to participate in it. He, he calls us to come and participate in this divine practice because that's exactly what it is. God himself, if he engaged in it and then put it in creation and then invites us to it, then it must be divine. It must be made for a place of encounter. If God himself has his fingerprints on it and there's divine hands all over it, then this place is a place of encounter because God made it holy. And so when we come and when we reach out to God in this place of rest, it's exclusive, it's unique, it's impactful in a way that nothing else can be. And so these ideas are important as we look at this context of boundaries. And as we look at this idea of what boundaries to set up in our lives, because for rest, this thing of rest is vital in our relationship with God. Remember, God modeled to mankind that it's, the life is not measured in the work that you do, but there's also a separate component of rest that life is work and it's rest. And so if we are to only engage in the work and we're to only do school and we're to only work and we're to only seek relationships and we're to only do all these things, then this thing of rest kind of goes unnoticed and falls by the wayside, and we're stepping into only a percentage, only a fraction of what we were made to. We're only fulfilling and living in a part of our existence with God, and part of our identity as the people of God. And so if we don't set up and, and engage in rest and, and, and put boundaries in place to protect that place of rest, well then, we're missing it a little bit. We're only living out a fraction of our identity. And setting up boundaries may look different for a lot of you. It may, I don't know, we, we all could go around and probably tell a different boundary that we could set up with our rest. But let's make this practical real quick. I want to tell you kind of some of the boundaries that I set up um, with rest. Now, for me and JC, um, our day of rest is Saturday because we work on Sundays and then we work Monday through Fridays and all that. So Saturday is our primary day of rest. And so uh, on Saturdays, one thing I do, obviously, is I don't work. Surprise, surprise. Um, I rest. I, I don't check emails. I'm not planning for events or retreats or anything with the young adults. I, I just rest. I just stop. Uh, I try really hard to minimize the schoolwork I'm doing, if any at all, and I just sit. I'm just I'm resting. I'm not engaging in work. Another one is I'm on my phone a lot less. I put my phone up in a far corner of the house, set it on silent, and don't touch it, preferably for the entire day. And with that, then, I disconnect from social media, and I disconnect from texting, and I disconnect from external things, and I just am present. I'm present with the Lord, I'm present with JC, I'm present with Rush, my little boy, and, you know, I'm not clouded and cluttered with social media and with texting people and with emails and all that stuff. Um, Another thing I do is, is I try my best to schedule things very lightly, like not really have an agenda. If we go to Target, which we actually kind of do every single Saturday, that's for whatever reason part of our Sabbath, I don't know how. My wife loves Target and will spend her entire life there if she has the option, so 
As a husband, yes, okay, I, I you know, we'll succumb to that. But uh, I, I try not to schedule a lot of things. And then another thing I do is I have a lot of space to read. Usually the morning is very extended, and I'm, I'm having some unhurried time in the Word and Scripture and in prayer and just being with the Lord and resting with Him. But also, I try and read fiction. Uh, I try and read something that's enjoyable to read, something that's not daunting, something that's not this heavy, meaty, theological or historical anything. But just right now, I'm working on The Hobbit. Just started The Hobbit yesterday. Yes, and amen. Glory. Glory. <clears throat> And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm working on The Hobbit, and it's fun, and it's energizing, and it's, it's restful, you know? It's not this uh, arduous reading. It's just, it, it's fun. It's recreational. And so, regardless of what your rhythms look like in setting up rest, it's going to look different for all of you. The important thing is that you set up rhythms in your rest. And the important thing is that you set up boundaries to protect that place. Why? Because it's the place of encounter, It's the place where you meet with God in a specific and unique way. And again, I want to be clear, yes, there's a place for work. And yes, there's a place to encounter God through the work of your hands and through participating in a vocation or an occupation. But there is something to be said in this biblical narrative about rest and its place in us encountering God. And so this morning, I want to ask one question. Are you resting? Are you taking time and observing the Sabbath? Not in a religious way, not in this hyper-law-driven way where you, well, you have to have it on this day and it has to look this, this, and this, and you can't pick up a, a grain of sand and you can't lift a straw because you know, Lord knows that that would ruin your Sabbath and then the wrath of God would be fired up against you. No, it's just being, like, like establishing some kind of rest. Have you established rhythms and boundaries that protect this sacred place of rest? Are you observing it? Or has rest kind of fallen by the wayside? Has rest been uh, viewed to you as a luxury, as something that you don't really need, as something that you've held hostage and given over as a casualty of your own toil and striving? I want to encourage you, protect the place of rest Not because we're bound by the law, not because of any of that, but because it's a place of encounter that if you set aside time to rest, God will reveal himself to you in powerful ways. You will experience and meet and encounter God in this specific way that you won't any other time. That Again, there's something about this encounter in the place of rest, and God made it that way. Why? Because he made it holy, and he blessed it at the beginning, and he instituted it, and he wove it into creation. And it's only when we set up boundaries that we can protect this. As we see the value in rest, as we see this as a place of encounter, if we set up boundaries, then we are safe. We can come to God in this rhythm of rest, in this routine that says, Father, I trust you first. I lay down my work. I don't feel like I have to make things happen on my own. I don't feel like I have to work and toil and, and, and success coming from the work of my hands, but I surrender. I give you a day, as, as painful as that is sometimes, I, I give this day to you and just release it to God and let him move through it and encounter him in the place of rest. And so right now, I want to pray and I want to reflect real quick. So let's just position our hearts and posture ourselves in a, in a place where we speak to God and where we come before God. Lord, here we are.
your people. God, we're coming before you not as those who are orphans and not as those who are trying to get your attention and not as the outsiders, but Lord, we come to you. If we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we come to you as sons and daughters. We come to you as those who are desiring you. We come to you as those who long to encounter you. And we recognize this morning, Lord, that there is a place of encounter in this place of rest. And so we ask, Lord, that you would allow us and give us the wisdom to be able to set up boundaries in our lives to protect that place of rest. Not so that we may be radicals and not so that we may be stiff on it and and, and observe the law and all that, but God, so that we can encounter you in that way that you so designed us to. This place of rest, this place of encounter. And God, I pray this morning as we discuss and as we unpack these ideas and make them practical, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us into all truth and that you would help us and bring things to mind, practices, rhythms, routines that we can implement into our lives to protect this place of encounter in the place of rest. We give you this time, Lord, and we thank you for speaking to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, we got some discussion questions up here. Um, enjoy, talk it through, make it real, get vulnerable, and, uh, and enjoy your time of discussion. God bless you guys as you discuss. I want to encourage you guys as we conclude. We were talking about this at our table. For a lot of you college students, which raise your hand if you're in college, just so I can see how many people we got. Totally. So 70% probably, of our, uh, of our group is in college. Going into this time of college with finals and with projects and all of that, you're probably not going to have as much margin to practice this. But um, after that, you got five weeks, baby. Come on. Glory. Hallelujah. There's light at the end of the tunnel. You got this. It is well with your soul. You will make it. But, uh, but let's get real with this thing. As we're going into Christmas and the holidays, there will be many times to actively practice this thing of rest and, and trial and error and experiment what works for you. Does getting in nature and taking a freezing cold hike in the snow do it for you? If so, great. Be my guest. Do it. Does sitting with a hot cup of coffee in your chair and with your blanket on, which is me, do it for you? Yes. Absolutely do it. But, but I want to encourage you, there is time coming up to practice this and to figure out what your rhythm and routine is. And so I want to encourage you to go into this holiday season and this break um, with that in mind. Let us practice and figure out how we are to protect this place of encounter through rest. Amen. All right, let's stand and do our benediction. This morning we're reading Psalm 61, 1 through 4. Sorry, front row, if you can't see that bottom line, but... Here's what it says. Let's, let's read it together. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.